Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. Welcome to Hancock and Kelly here on your Sunday morning on Fox 2. On the left, he's back. Got a tan. That is Michael Kelly. Good, Good morning. to see you. Fresh Aloha. back. Aloha. Yeah. And on the right, John Hancock. Aloha. He's been stuck out in Baldwin. You don't say that in Baldwin. You've been stuck out there for four. Oh, you need a vacation. I do. You need to get away. You need to hang out with this guy. Yeah. Mr. Throwing weddings and you can go travel. <laughs> That's a good point. All right. The big story this week, of course, the Democratic debates. Rounds one and two now in the books. Certainly some winners and some losers. There wasn't a whole lot of news that came out of that first debate other than Senator Warren solidifying her standing as a top tier. Uh, but here, the second debate, we had some people going at it. Take a listen to this. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and it, I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. All right, and let's begin with that exchange right there. We'll cut it off right there. Yes, it's early, but I think there's a lot more to that exchange than people give credit for in order of who looked good, who didn't look good. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Kamala Harris won that debate. She won both nights. Uh, that was a bad uh, situation there for Joe Biden. How he couldn't be unprepared is a little confounding to me. I mean, this is obviously a part of his record that was going to come up. And Joe Biden really looked off, right? It's almost like he was surprised that they were going to go into his four decades of service and really try to parse out some of the issues that existed there. I don't think Joe Biden's done, but I think he's got to definitely rebound here in the next couple of uh, debates, or he's definitely going to be sinking out of here. John. I was shocked. Um, these people are running for president. And, you know, we, I do debate prep with clients all the time. You've you got 10 people on the stage. You've got a, you got a two-hour debate. You may have eight minutes of, of time to communicate. And Kamala Harris clearly rehearsed what she was going to say in those eight minutes. The rest of them were just flying blind and reacting all the time. You, you will never win a debate like that if you don't have something in the can, ready to deliver the goods, have rehearsed it 25 times, and then go do it. That's what she did, and that's why she won. That, and I think that's what's so confusing about this, because if you look at social media, especially the day after the debate, uh, Kamala Harris, her team tweeted out something about that segment, including a picture the moment it happened. They knew they were going to do that. Joe Biden had to have known that was coming. It had been in the news. And his you know, people behind the scenes say he's just not listening to people right now. He thinks he's got I, this one. I don't know if he was underprepared or overprepared. But it seemed like every time he was getting ready to respond. And like John says, you don't answer the question. You say what you want to say. That's what Kamala Harris did. Mm -hmm. It felt like he was staggering in his mental memory to remember, okay, this is this part of the speech that I want to go, and it really exposed him 
uh, poorly. He's not going to be the nominee. Uh, I've said that from the beginning. <laughs> and too early. he's not going to be the nominee because he's a bad candidate and he's a, he's a proven bad candidate. The three, this is the third time. He's at his ceiling right now. He's, he's not going up from here. He can only go down from here. And there's too many other people that are at their floor that can only go up from here. And that's going to take that out. Of, I, and I think, I think both Biden and Sanders both have the largest propensity to, to begin to dissolve at this point. And that's what happens when you're the front runner. And those two would be at the top of all polling. I'm not prepared to declare the Biden presidency candidacy dead. Look, it, th this is a long slide to the election, and he might be able to recover. Let's remember, President Trump didn't even go to some debates. So, and who, most people last night that were watching that debate were watching Dancing with the Stars or something. They weren't focused on it. He's definitely got to polish it up, though. When the air starts coming out of the balloon, Brown, yeah. what happens to the balloon? Well, yeah. It comes down. Right. Okay, I, oddly enough, and I hope this makes sense, I'm reading a book on, um, on mediation right now. And they kind of lay out the case of a Joe Biden. People who are great at bringing people together, like you two, bring them together. A lot of times they're not able to, to sell themselves. They're so good at saying, oh, I see your differences and your differences. Let's put you guys together. That's what his track record is. And it may be like you've always said, he may not have a lot of substance to himself, although he has been an effective legislator. I hope that makes sense. It does. He, he's the, that's his skill. His skill is not that. Well, he's also not great in, in a confrontational situation, whereas Kamala Harris, you know, she, she was she a does. prosecutor. That's, if you ever watch her interrogate somebody, you know, uh, when she's in the Senate Judiciary Committee, that's what she does. Now, she runs a risk of being very unlikable. She's got to really govern that aspect of her personality because that, that's a killer, too. Okay, I want to read something here I put out on social media after the debate. Got a lot of attention. Some nasty, nasty emails, some insightful. I wrote, the candidate who can win the primary may not be able to win the election, but the person who can possibly win the election can't win over the party voters here. And I, we call it the, the democratic uh, dichotomy here. Um, so I think it's back to you guys where well, she did well, but can she win over the moderates? And we know Biden can do that. Your Honor, I would like to submit to the jury the case of the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. My friend John Hancock said there's no way Donald Trump's going to be president of the United States. This unorthodox stuff, blah, blah, blah. Guess what he won? This is a mirror image on the other side of what we witnessed in 2016. A lot of the Republicans who watch that debate are probably disgusted, like, what? These aren't the issues that were. It's what the Democratic base wants to talk about. And they are uh, getting through. We have the greatest economy in the history of the world. Humming. And this president is below 50% unfavorable. It has over 50% unfavorable. This should be a landslide election for this president. It's not going to be. The 2016 election shows that the Democrats are going to be fine in 2020 when their candidate comes Well, out. here's the difference, though. Donald Trump has an unorthodox style. Uh, he says things that, you know, make you scratch your head. He does things that make you scratch your head. But on policy, controlling our borders, cutting taxes, Building getting rid of regulations, yes, on, on policy, he was in the sweet spot where the voters were. This stuff that these guys are pushing, getting rid of private health insurance, buying back your guns if you've got an assault weapon, uh, free, you know, college tuition and forgiving but, college debt. But, John, with that's the not the sweet of the spot. tax cuts, what does Donald Trump have to run on? All of his campaign promises from the 2016 election, he's been unable to deliver on. No, There's no wall. Mexico's not paying for it. Walls being he didn't built. repeal Obamacare. 
Those were his two main tenets. He has nothing to point to. The only thing he can point to is the giveaway to the billionaires. No, the tax cut that stimulated the economy and historic regulatory reform that has helped to create a, a growing economy, the lowest unemployment rate in our lifetimes. I mean, he does have a record to run on. Okay, a couple of things here very quickly. Herman Cain apparently won the first Republican debate four <laughs> yeah. years ago. So keep that in mind. One more thing here, because I thought this was interesting, not getting a lot of coverage here. John Delaney from Maryland, the rep there, had perhaps the most surprising debate, I think. Didn't get a lot of attention, but here's something he says that seems to make sense to a lot of Republicans as well. When talking about health care, he said, when talking about his father and health insurance, he'd look at me and say, Good job, John, for getting health care for every American, but why are you taking my health care away? These are the kind of guys, John, who I think are surprising because if you look at what he had to say in his platform, he's got some pragmatic approaches here. That's something that can resonate with the middle and some Republicans as well, an approach to health care like that. Well, somebody, you know, if they're going to win this thing, and they've got an opportunity, Trump's numbers are not good. If they're going to win this thing, they're not going to win this thing out where they were talking last the other night. Bernie and they, They've got to get somewhere closer to well, the middle. And that's what happens in a debate of a party. You're going to have the extremist conversation. Look, the health care policy that's going to come forth is some type of Medicare for all that if you have your insurance right now, you can keep it, but we're going to make sure that we have a base for everyone regardless. All right, still to come here on Hancock & Kelly, President Trump meets with Putin. We'll discuss what he said to the Russian president. Plus, what Robert Mueller's upcoming testimony could mean for the Democrats and the Republicans. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for Hancock and Kelly. Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. One more thing about the Democratic debates, and it's this cult of personality which we saw four years ago and also this week. The only person who I think really lost this week, in my opinion, Beto O'Rourke. Remember him skateboarding right there? Okay, even Marianne Williamson did better, I think. I'm showing this video for a reason. People said, wait a second, isn't that the guy who skateboards? Wait, isn't that the guy who plays guitar? He had his picture on Vanity Fair. This cult of personality washed out pretty thin rather quickly. Michael, you're up on this one. We've seen this kind of case. If you just, so I watched the debate first of all without the audio. It's kind of weird, but I wanted to see facial reactions. He looked like he didn't know where he was, quite frankly. No, uh, and I, I'd like to go back and see some of the debates he had with Ted Cruz. Now, Ted Cruz is no, uh, right. you know, he's kind of a mannequin himself, so maybe he was able to survive the debates that way because of his opponent. But how can you not be prepared for a debate? How could you not know how to interject yourself? How would you not be able to be able to show your personality? Let me tell you, I know some of the people working for Beto O'Rourke. They work for Barack Obama. They work for other candidates out there. He's got good, smart people. I'd put this solely on the candidate. Mm. Yeah, well, he has no message. That's a problem. And there's very little substance to the guy. And, and he, that in a, in a very short amount of time on a national stage, it became apparent there's no substance to the guy. He's done. Okay, I'm curious, though. You said you've, you've helped these people get debate ready in yeah. the past. And I've made the point, if this is how you determine who you want, it's a mistake. Because you're listening to, what, six to eight minutes of yes. material. How, is this a fair way to even do it anymore? No, and, and in fact, the Democrats will do themselves a good service if they get this thing down to five or six candidates sooner rather than later. You know, I think in five or six candidates, you have an exchange. They're all credible with a reasonable chance to be the nominee. That's a much better situation than, yeah, than this. I think that's right. In terms of whether or not this is the best way to do it, I don't know. We haven't found a better way to do it. That's true. Um, and, you know, we've got to have some way to see these folks. The problem when you have when you have 20 of them they're all just trying to get out their little bit of biography and take their shot at the front runner. Mm -hmm. 
it's when John says, when we get down to five or six and we actually start talking about some issues, and, and that's where the rubber's going to hit the road. But when you've got to do it in this environment, you've got to make that environment work for you, and that's what Kamala Harris did. Certainly did. And you got to do it. All right, let's talk about the G20 meetings this week. President Trump and President Putin sitting side by side with this question. Okay, hopefully you can read it and follow along. Okay, stupid question, first of all. I mean, those never go anywhere. And stupid response here, don't meddle in the election. What do you, what do you think about that exchange there? Not much. Um, it's silly. Here's, here's what I know. I know that the United States has been working tirelessly with secretaries of state in all of the states who run the elections in those states to ensure the integrity of their electoral systems. So I know that the federal government's taking this seriously. Um, I would like to have seen the president take it a little more seriously in that particular element, but I don't think much of it. And I know that one of the biggest things that people who are never Trumpers don't like about Donald Trump is when he acts unpresidential like that. Mm. That only turns off Democrats, but it turns off those never Trumpers, those people who held their nose because they couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. That's just more of this ridiculous behavior from a man who's not fit to be president. And I'm offended by the media person screaming out that question. How stupid. Are you going to tell him? It, yep. It's like when you do the perp walk. When you have the criminal walking between here and there and you're screaming questions at him, what do you think you're going to get? It's the dumbest thing in our business, I think. You have a president who will go on foreign soil and talk politics, mm -hmm. who will sit in the graveyards at Normandy and attack political opponents in Washington, D.C., so if you're one of those reporters and you know you've got an unhinged president, why wouldn't the, you throw the answer, that? The yeah. answer to that question is I'm going to be having conversations with President Putin and others this week about very important things that matter to our country, uh, but that's going to be between us. Right. That's, the, that's the way to answer that question. I also announced this week that Special Counsel Robert Mueller will testify in front of a pair of congressional committees soon. There will be some public sessions, everyone's going to hear that, and then there are going to be private sessions where the unredacted version of the Mueller report will be open for discussion. Democrats say, great opportunity to see if Mueller really thinks the president broke the law and how they could possibly proceed with impeachment or other indictments. Republicans say, we've already been down this road. Michael Kelly. So, look, this is going to be interesting political theater. Robert Mueller has already told us what he's going to do. Only thing I'm going to do is read what's in that report. I won't say anything. I won't add conjecture. I won't add thoughts. The biggest opportunity the Democrats have here is most of you and most of us haven't read that report completely. So to hear Robert Mueller read portions of that report, specifically as it talks about the 10 cases of potential uh, uh, collusion, mm -hmm. that we might be able to put a spotlight on that, that's where the Democrats have an opportunity. Where they have liability is if this man goes out there and they weren't prepared and they don't have a nice script here, they're going to look foolish. Look, <clears throat> Mueller's not going to say that he obstructed justice. He's going to say, here's what we found. And uh, the, the most damning stuff in that report isn't the obstruction of justice. It's the embarrassing stuff about management styles and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I think this is going to amount to nothing. All right, still to come here on Hancock and Kelly, there's one Republican left in Jefferson City. And she made news this week. We're going to talk about what she had to say and what it means for 2020 straight ahead here on Hancock and Kelly.
All right, time for a little news potpourri on this Sunday morning. Well, this week the president got into another social media spat, this time a member of the U.S. Women's World Cup soccer team. How does that happen, you say? Megan Rapinoe said that there's no way she would visit the White House if invited. She even dropped the F-bomb during her statement. The president said that her actions are inappropriate by protesting during the national anthem and then even directed a few other tweets at her. But he still thinks the team is great and hopes they do well. Uh, John, I can't believe we're to the point of one where she says I'm not going to go visit, right? Do your own thing, but we're in the middle of the World Cup. You should be celebrating. Now it's political again. We can't do anything in America without it being political. Well, I'm a little torn on this one, Brandon. Oh, are you? It, finally, you got a, an athlete here with gray hair. And uh, so it's a little hard for me to criticize a fellow uh, silver hair. Okay. Uh, having said that, she needs to focus on keeping... hair? Keeping, I got it. It's up there, pal. <laughs> she needs to focus on keeping that little ball out of that big goal. And, uh, and I, I don't like to see these athletes getting all political. This isn't a good look for either of them. Right. First of all, you're playing in the World Cup. You don't even know if you're going to go to the, to the White House. Why are you focused on anything else other than what you're doing? If you're the President of the United States, why are you punching down at your own team? I mean, but that, that's just it. We've, we've got this new world that Donald Trump's brought us. So we can have conversations about soccer players. Goodness gracious. You know, and that's what, so I was thinking this week, if, if by some strange chance I knew how to play soccer and somebody asked me that question, what would I say? I would say, what a great honor that would be if we win the world championship to get an invitation to the president. We'll see where it goes from there. Right, it's not that hard, and yet everybody is political on. We don't everything. know. We don't know about the soccer team, but you know who is going to get an invitation to the White Who's House crowd? The St. Louis Blues <laughs> will know. be going to the White House with the Lord Stanley's Cup. Well, but there's only two Americans on the team, I think. So. <laughs> and they'll go visit up in Canada. So, all right, this week the only Democrat left in Jefferson City hinted that she's going to run for governor. State Auditor Nicole Galloway reportedly very serious about it and is getting the team and resources together to do it. Scott Sifton, another Democrat, talking about a run. Now, here's what's interesting. Keep in mind, Galloway barely beat Republican Sondra McDowell, and Republicans largely didn't want their own candidate to win if they even knew who she was. John, where does this go? 2020, Parsons, very popular right now. He's had some blowback recently, but that's going to be a tough one. Well, for disclosure, I'm the chairman of the governor's PAC, so okay. I'm involved in this thing. Uh, Nicole Galloway probably is the best candidate the Democrats could find. They, they just have a very shallow bench. Uh, I don't think she's going to be able to find the resources and, or the messaging, frankly, to beat Mike Parson. But, uh, you know, this is a recruitment effort going on by the Democrats, and we'll see what happens. Well, and look, this is a, this is a substantial opportunity for the Democrats. We have a quality candidate who would have a free shot at being able to do it. We wouldn't lose control of that office. We have somebody who can appeal to folks and who's running in against an absolute extremist governor. I mean, we were all excited that he was no longer uh, Eric Greitens, but this is a man who's saying that women who are raped have to carry that baby to term. This is a man who's continuing to push from very extremist policies, trying to continue to further legalize guns, try to overturn the will of the people as it relates to right to work. I think she has a message it will sell because Mike Parsons is just too extreme for me. Yeah, you know what we call that in Missouri, don't you, Kelly? What's that? Popular. He, he's going he's gonna to win re-election. Mark the tape. And, and outside of, of those two, I mean, it's, it is, maybe St. Louis should secede from Missouri like the one Democrat said. Well, I think there's a lot of people in Kansas City and the suburbs That's that true. feel it. Look, this is, we have a very red state when it comes to representation. But when you look at these elections, there's still a very, very healthy Democratic Party that can win here. All right, one more topic here very quickly in potpourri. We finish with St. Louis's own Maxine Waters.
She had an interesting tweet about Iran this week. This was in response to the U.S. drone that was shot down, which the Pentagon, the Pentagon says was in the international airspace. So the St. Louis native tweeted out, Trump, you get no credit for so-called stopping the strike against Iran. Why was the unmanned drone in Iran's airspace? Why the surveillance? Don't provoke and then pretend innocence. John, some people are saying she's siding with Iran here. I know she's had some... She often finds herself in controversial positions. This one was just weird. Well, and it's not in her bailiwick either. If you look at the issues that she has talked about for you, I mean, the, the Middle Eastern policy is a very delicate thing. The president did the right thing by withholding it, the strike, and she's just wrong about where the drone was when it was shot down. She's being Trumpian. I mean, come on, you guys. We're going to sit here and parse what a congressman from California had to say on Twitter who's trying to get attention and hold her accountable for heaven and accuracies? Goodness gracious, can we please pull up all the president's tweets now and go through them? We, we because did. one after another <laughs> is nothing but lies. The this is the world that this president has created. The fact that now we're, we're, we're lumping them all in together. Maybe says a lot, which is right. good. All right. All right. Still to come on Hancock and Kelly, it is time for final thoughts from these two, so stick around. This is way too much fun for a Sunday morning. I've had a good time today, gentlemen. It it's has been, been good. Fun conversation. It's always fun, Brown. It is. Well, some days. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about final thoughts. You're up first today. What do you got? I'm going home to prepare oh. for the onslaught that is about to happen to Missouri. The amount of people from Illinois who are oh. going to be coming across the bridge tomorrow to start getting their gasoline, they're doubling the gas tax in the state of Illinois. Good for them. Stuff they can invest in roads. Gas in Illinois is going to be almost 40 cents more expensive than it will be in St. Louis. Those bridges are going to be packed 24-7 with people coming to get gas. And from what people who live in Illinois tell me, once they get here, they might just stay because of property taxes. That's exactly now. right. All right, what you little got? little advice for you, Brown. Now would be a good time to eat all the red meat you can. Oh. Uh, pack those arteries full right now because if the Democrats do win the White House, good luck getting that bypass surgery. Let's get our bypass surgery out of the way now while we still have free while we still have the freedom to pick our health care. Well, we wouldn't insult the, the blues by serving McDonald's, so uh, you're probably all right. You'll eat up all that. Have bread. a whopper there, Kelly. Thanks for watching. Uh, maybe that one that's all vegan. I'm Cory Booker will do that one. Hey, thanks for watching Hancock and Kelly. If you missed any part of the show, download it right there on your smartphone. Search out Hancock or Kelly. Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace is next. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Stay cool.